Dr. Alicia Pence. I am faculty in special education here at MTSU, and I am so excited to speak with Mrs. Denise Perkins, who is a special ed intervention teacher at Case and Lane. Welcome, Denise. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me. This is great. Denise, do you mind if I talk a little bit about your background? I think that will be helpful as we today talk about um, really this digital learning kind of phase that we're in right now due to COVID. Um, so let me just start with a little introduction. So we're so happy to have uh, Mrs. Denise Perkins. She, like I said, is a SPED intervention teacher. She's been one for a couple of decades now. She's worked with students in elementary grades, third to six, here in Rutherford County in Murfreesboro City Schools. Um, she's also attended MTSU, which is awesome. She received her bachelor's in science and special education, and she also has a master's in early childhood special education. She is married and has three children, um, and I know she is a busy person, so welcome again. Thank you. Well, Denise, you know, today I know we're going to talk a lot about digital learning because it has really changed the landscape of what we're doing as professionals um, in the field of special education, some good, some bad. So I know as a professor at MTSU, remote learning has not always been the easiest. And I'm using the word remote to talk about digital learning or using some um, form of online platform to do our teaching. So Denise, do you mind just talking for a moment about your experiences with digital learning. Um, what have you been using at Case and Lane? Then just how's it been going this semester? Does it feel so different? Or when did you start using this platform? Well, I will tell you that my 20 years of experience have definitely did not prepare me for this. So I really felt like this was my first year of teaching. I had so much to learn, but it has been a great opportunity to, to grow. And it's definitely a better choice than um, not getting to, to service my kids at all. At Case and Lane, we have used Google Classroom primarily as our platform for students to be able to get information from us as well as turn in things. We also have used Zoom predominantly as our live classroom. So um, I am blessed that I get to teach an hybrid method is what we call it, where I have traditional students that are here in the classroom as well as students that are online. And so I have had to learn how to balance the two together and still make both sets of students feel part of my classroom. So it has definitely been an experience. I have spent so much time Googling, trying to figure things out. Google has become like my best friend. And I've got great support staff here at school as well. Murfreesboro City has really done a great job of providing PDs for us to, to dig a little deeper based on where we were technology. Um, I think definitely our younger generation has probably had an easier time with this, but like I said, it's been a, a great opportunity for growth. Hope I answered everything you said. <laughs> oh, you did. I love it. So you had mentioned professional development training that you've done in your district. Is this stuff that you all are, because today, is today like an example of a professional development day the district's allowed? For today, we have parent-teacher conferences, um, but we have had, most of our professional development did come a little bit later. So when we did um, have the quarantine time where we were seeing kids, uh, no one was at school, I guess back in March, that's when we just really learned how to use Zoom. So I was able to start having Zoom IEP meetings and um, learning how to use DocuSign. So I felt like I got a really crash course in how to do Zoom. 
which was wonderful for when school started because that was what we utilized. But as far as PD, it's kind of been your own interest. Like we we usually have um, a PD at our school once a month with our technology person, and it's kind of based on where you are. But they also offer PDs in the afternoon because no, not one size fits all. We've we've got teachers here that have been using Google Classroom before we even were in a pandemic. And that has been very helpful to kind of jump in. Um, we've also, as a, as a district, I think have gotten really great at sharing things with each other. It's just such a crucial time that it's really important to have that collaboration. So um, we're seeing that more from school to school and especially within our special education department because, you know, we're kind of, we're, we're different than everybody else. And it's been really great to collaborate with other schools to figure out, well, how are you getting this information out? How are you getting this information back? And how are you keeping the kids engaged? Um, those have been probably my major three things. Student engagement is probably, as I think about my former years as a special ed teacher, that would, I'm pretty sure would be one of the biggest hurdles with using digital learning is getting the student engagement must be, or do you have strategies, Denise, that you've been able to use that have helped keeping students engaged or or, are there examples that come to mind? Absolutely. So, and I guess the, the other hurdle though has been, not only am I trying to engage the students that are online, but I'm also trying to keep those students that are with me in the classroom engaged. And so that has kind of been a a difficulty on both sides. I will be honest, we have utilized a lot of technology. We use a lot of teaching videos to kind of, you know, introduce a skill. We've used a lot of technology applications such as quizzes or Kahoot or, you know, just something that makes it a little bit more game-like that everybody can jump in together. We've done a lot of, we use reading A to Z where we can read stories together. The one challenge has been that my, my students that are here with me, we don't always have enough technology for those students as well because we have you know, so much technology that's at home. So that's been a little bit limited, but we've actually learned how to overcome that. My students are great at sharing and I can display a lot of that information on our screen, but we do have multiple groups going on in the classroom. So I have to kind of be careful on that, but I would love to share something that we did yesterday that I felt like was a really great example of having kids be engaged. So usually around Halloween, we'll do some poems and there some of them are a little scary some of them are more you know about pumpkins things like that and so last year we built a fort and we had it was dark and we had our flashlights and we got in our fort and we read our poems and we tried to read them in our spooky voices so we're trying to you know work on that fluency and that expression and making it purposeful, not just, you know, I want you to read fast. And so we did that. Then we had s'mores and we had such a great time. So this year with so many of my students being virtual learners and social distancing, you know, I thought we can't build a fort. So how are we going to do this? So I decided to tackle it anyway, because it's just so much fun. And again, like I said, it's purposeful for them. They kind of understand why I need to read a certain way. And so we went ahead and passed out poems and we all practiced, everybody had their own poem. And so yesterday when they came in, we had the classroom really dark. We had like a pretend fire with uh, orange lights on it and like LED candles and some 
Halloween music playing when they came in. And so it was super dark. And so our students at home, I had sent messages to the parents, which by the way, Dojo has been, that's another thing we use a lot here in our district to communicate with our parents. And it's basically like texting your parent, but it's just through this application. But anyway, I had sent them messages saying, hey, could you get a flashlight for your child? Because I wanted my online learners to have that same fun experience. And so they all had their flashlights and they all found a dark place to go. And we had them up on the screen and I used an extra camera so they could see the students that were reading. And so everybody participated. It was so much fun. But then of course our kids here at school, we made s'mores because that's kind of like our little thing. We had s'mores afterwards. Well, then I, I started feeling really bad for my kids at home. I'm like, well, they didn't get to have s'mores. So my EAs put together little care packages and um, we went and dropped off s'mores for our class, um, our kids that were at home. So it was just a really great way to engage. And I felt like for maybe one of the first times we felt really like a community, whether we were at home or we were at school, we were able to figure out how to do the same things. And it was just just a lot of fun. And I'm sorry, I know I can just go on and on and on. No, I think that that (laughs) is it. You know, we need bright spots here. We need good strategies and really nice stories to kind of fall back on, because I think sometimes as educators, we get so caught up in this feeling of remote teaching feels like a lot of extra work and you have the additional, I'm going to use the word stress and you can tell me if that's not a good descriptor, but our task do multitasking here. You're Mm -hmm. teaching remotely. Plus you have students who are live coming to school, sitting right there in your group. So you're having to multitask lots of different groups of students at the same time who have completely individual needs and one's digital and some are in person. That is not an easy task. (laughs) So I really appreciate that your story about how you were able, and you use the word community, build some community because some of our distant learners right now feel Mm -hmm. a little bit isolated. Um, And so that's a really beautiful example of how even dropping off materials at home it's nice for the parents because there's less stress about getting out and going and picking up materials at school. It's right. just delivered to us, which is nice. Right. Students can participate and feel like they were a part of the group at school, even though they weren't present. So right. that's that, you know, it took a little extra planning, but yes. um, I think that that is a really nice example of how I'm going to say small acts of kindness It really go a long way, right? So, and that would not be like our typical day. You know, typically we would break apart um, into multiple groups. I am blessed with a lot of EAs. Okay, Denise, um, let's talk for a moment about parents. And I know I'm on all of these Facebook groups where I hear a lot of parents really challenged by just this concept or are my child's needs being met? Is their IEP being followed? If we are in a distant sort of learning environment where my students, my child, excuse me, are not coming to school. So, you know, just to help ease some of parents' concerns, do you have any, I, I use the word tips, but just some insights to provide with parents about letting them, or comforting words to let them know that it's okay that your child's remote right now, they're still getting what they need. Absolutely. Um, One thing I think that as a district we did that I thought was very empowering, um, 
our SPED department had us write distance learning plans and share that with our parents. And so they knew exactly, you know, how the their child services were going to be handled. Um, they got to choose whether they had Zoom for their physical therapy or their speech and language. You know, we've given our parents a lot of options and, and I think they've been able to find what works for them. I can only imagine the, the stress that parents have taken on. Um, I really don't think any of us had an idea what virtual learning would look like, and therefore we were not we were not ready, and I'm not sure we could have been ready, but we're ready now, and I think that's what counts. But I think one thing that parents have to remember, definitely I think we're providing so much more now than we were able to during the quarantine because we, we did have some time. But one thing I would encourage parents to do is, and especially in the older children, um, which is typically I work with fourth, fifth, and sixth graders, is trying to create like a mini classroom to the best that they can, a space that's kind of quiet where they have their materials. It doesn't have to be a desk, you know, it can be the table, but it needs to be something that looks a little bit like school or that that kind of place because I, I do think, you know, when a student's trying to do their work in bed, I know if I were working in bed, you know, <laughs> <Right>. and <laughs> my pillow like, looks look like school. That <laughs> Absolutely. Is Denise, that's a, that's a really practical tip. So you, parents should set up a little um, desk or school-like right. set in a, like maybe a corner of a, I don't want to say a bedroom, yeah, but right. a dining room <clears throat> where it looks at mimic school in some way. So in some way, yes, because yeah. it's not, you just will, you know, there's several kids. I'm like, you got to get out of bed. We can't do school <laughs> in bed. We've even had a teacher um, here take a desk and chair to the, the family to, to use at home because they just didn't have a space. And so, I mean, it, it doesn't have to be a permanent space, but something where they feel like when I go here, this is my time to, to work. Um, I think that separates it from I'm on the computer, you know, lounging in my room or whatever. And most of my parents have done a fabulous job of this. And I think it's just taken us all time to evolve and figure out what works. But especially if you're doing this long term, but definitely a place that is not super comfortable either <laughs> because it's really easy to be really tired first thing in the morning. But anyway, those, those to me, the, if they can make that available for their child, make a routine for them. So you still get up and you still get ready. You still, it's like you're going to school, but school's at home. I know if I were working from home, I would have to do these things myself to, to, to separate it. What are your expectations for um, parents in helping to facilitate this digital learning at home for their own children? And how do you communicate? I know you mentioned Dojo earlier, and I've heard really good things about Dojo, by the way, but it's kind of a digital um, app, I believe it is. For yes. So communication happens quickly with, with parents. Yes. And the beautiful part about it is I can send to one student or I can send to my whole group and a parent can communicate with me individually. And so that part is what's so nice. It's not just a whole group. You know, everybody gets the same thing. They can, but they don't they don't have to. It's very individualized. And they also are able to see their students behavior for the day because they get point. So they get to see where their children on, you know, on task and things like that. So it also gives them live behavior input. Well, what I love about that, Denise, is that with Dojo or an app where parents are getting feedback, it's so much quicker sometimes than what, you know, waiting to get a progress report or waiting for the teacher to call and say, here's how my child's doing. I know with my, I have a young son with a disability. 
I know it's really important for me because he doesn't always have the communication skills to let me know how his day has gone at school. I think something like Dojo, I'm kind of hoping in the future when we're all together again, it doesn't go away because I know from a parent perspective, it's just such good data and information. It, it really is. It's really been powerful. And we were, fortunately, we were utilizing it before. There's also some other components on there. They have a portfolio. Um, I can also take pictures of students and send to their parents. I can The parents can send me work. It's a really great app that really gives us a lot of opportunities to share information with parents, which is powerful. And it's not intruding on their time as much as if I made a phone call. I kind of feel like, you know, they can look at their phone when that works for them, not me calling them from their job or something like that, calling during dinner. Um, I think it just adds that convenience. And let's be honest, we all have our phones um, pretty close to us at all times. So, yeah, so it's great. It's working. Really say some positive things um, within our communities about how successful that particular app is. So who knew an app could be so powerful? Absolutely. So some of the really nice things that are coming from this unique environment that we're in is that we're learning that we can do some good things in a digital learning environment that we've never really tried before. And it, some of this is working better than I think many of us could anticipate it. We all are looking forward to having our students back in our classrooms, but we also have to reflect on some of the good aspects that we have learned that we would never have the opportunities right before to Absolutely. ever experience. Um, so I think that's powerful. Denise, another question about teachers who might be listening to our podcast today, um, who might be struggling. They might be really struggling with, with some of the challenges that you have talked about. The multitasking, again, has been such a huge issue. Um, you know, for, for educators that are, are trying to, to continue to think about ways to adapt and be flexible and utilize kind of these, these new digital learning platforms in a way that are meeting the needs of our learners with disabilities. So I guess kind of to round out today, I, I just, my, my final question is, do you have advice for some of those educators out there that maybe have not had really positive experiences and need some kind of motivation to get them thinking about digital learning in a, in a new way? Um, I think that's a great question. And one of the things I would mention is um, at the beginning when this started, I kind of felt like I had to change everything that I was doing, that I had to figure out how to make everything um, go through technology. I had to, to, I spent hours trying to download work and make it in a way that the student could respond to. I felt like I was spending so much time preparing that I wasn't really sure I was focused on what we were doing. I don't know if that makes sense, but it seems like the preparation became more of the the purpose than the actual lesson. And finally, I just kind of took a step back and I went back to what I know. Um, one thing is I know my kids need routine. Fortunately, I have kids for multiple years, um, although I've had a couple of kids that I've only had virtually, so that's been fun. But I try to set our routine just like what we did when they came to school. So if first thing we do in um, our EALA class is we write in our journals. And so my kids here at school, we get their journal and sit down and my kids online would go on Google Classroom and start their journal. So we really tried to to take the routines that we did when we were all together. Go ahead, Debbie. So um, 
So instead of trying to recreate something totally different, I have just tried to figure out how I've come up with my own ways to accommodate, I guess you could say. Our visual stu- our virtual students, I've simplified things a lot. I was spending so much time on Google Classroom trying to give them the information. And then the students had difficulty trying to answer it or use the text boxes or to send it back. It was becoming really frustrating. And so I'll be honest, we just kind of went old school. I made sure they all had whiteboards and I use my share screen is like my favorite button in the world now. So I can pull up whatever information that we're working on. And so my students, and a lot of times I do try to get it to them ahead of time, but if they don't pick up the materials or they can't find, or I did have one there, German Shepherd ate their materials. And it's a true story. Um, I met the German Shepherd yesterday when I dropped off uh, (laughs) s'mores. It was very scary, (laughs) but um, I would give him my homework too. And, And so I will, you know, give my students in front of me what we're working on. And then my students that are virtual, I will put it on the screen. And so that way, again, we're all doing the same thing. And then we do a lot of write your answers on your whiteboard and hold them up. And I take a picture. And so I have a folder that's just full of their whiteboard work because that was the other frustration is I couldn't see what they were doing. Now, when they do use Google Classroom, I can't obviously see their work, but I just had so many that were struggling to use that, that it just became easier, just like I said, to kind of go old school. So I think sometimes we um, we get caught up in the presenting And I think that's the advice I would give to teachers that are struggling is go back to what you know and just figure out how to make it virtual. Another thing I've used is I just have a camera that plugs up to my, that our district bought, that plugs up to my laptop. And I usually use it like a docu-cam. So if it's something I don't have scanned, I change the screen so they can see it. And, or if I'm teaching something on my board, I'll actually have the screen just, again, not thinking I have to make everything digital. Um, They're able to see me teach and they're also able to see um, their peers, which I think is important. So they do feel like a part of our classroom. So I, I just think um, keep it simple where you can and don't overwhelm our families with so much technology. Chat has also been a great thing because we can drop links into the chat and it's so much easier for the student just to click on that than to try to navigate. That's a great tip. That's mm-hmm. a very, you know, something you can implement right now. Yes, like when we play quizzes or Kahoot or if we're um, going to a certain story and I want them to have individual access, then I'll put it in the chat because some of our students are still really struggling, um, especially some of our students that do have autism um, are struggling to understand how can I be on Zoom and beyond something else. And so they, they become very fearful. Like, I don't want to get off Zoom. I, you know, I want to stay with you. And we're, so if they can't understand, you know, using tabs and using different windows, this, if they click on the link, it just pops up for them. So I've had some, uh, I have EAs that have amazing technology abilities that have taught me lots of stuff as well. So it's just been a work in progress for all of us. And I think at the end of the day, we just have to think we did our best and improve where we can and figure out what works. Um, I've done more reflecting probably than I ever had, um, especially teaching for so long. And the next day is another day to, you know, change what needs to be changed and celebrate what what's working. So you know, Denise, before we started this conversation, before we hit record, we were talking about having grace 
for ourselves yes. in this time of need. And yes. also as educators, having grace to know that we're doing the best we can as parents, Yes, you know, to have grace to know that, you know, we would never have planned for this, but we are doing the best we can. And for our, our students to have grace that they're working so hard to be a part of your classroom when you're doing this remote learning. So I think that that's really important for us to walk away with and know that, yes, let's celebrate. Use the right. word celebrate. Right. That we have got, we've made it this far doing, and we've adapted. Wow. How quickly some and of I think very little training have been able to adapt. So, it's And I think our students have, they, they may be growing in a different way than when they were here with us, but they're learning things that are going to prepare them for middle school and high school, that they're going to be ready for that. I have um, a student that could not type at all. And this child now, it's amazing to see him on a keyboard. <laughs> and so that's going to prepare him for later on. So even though there have been those difficulties, I definitely think that um, there's been some amazing things that have um, come out of this as well. Absolutely. Well, Mrs. Denise Perkins, it has been a pleasure um, to speak with you about your personal experiences. We know you come with a treasure of personal um, time as a special educator working with students and families in our community. So thank you for your service. And this has been wonderful. Oh, I've enjoyed it. Thank you so much for inviting me. And like I said to those teachers out there, just keep it simple and um, you've got this. We're teachers. We're used to making things work. <laughs>